Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 8 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is John, and I'll be your guest host for this season while we talk with millennial pastors in the Church of the Nazarene who are committed to serving their church and denomination. In a study done by Research Services from Church of the Nazarene Global Ministry Center, comparing lead pastors within the denomination from 2000 and 2019, some interesting trends were revealed. The primary age for lead pastors within the Church of the Nazarene in 2000 was 35 to 54. In 2019, we see a shift of those exact pastors simply getting older and no new young leaders emerging. We are here not to lament what has happened, but to celebrate those who have stayed and begin to explore why, why they have chosen to stay and perhaps how we can encourage and create new opportunities for others to remain as well. We're going to listen to these pastor stories, hear from people who have spoken into their lives and celebrate the choice they have made to stay within our denominational walls. I'm sure they're just like me, and they've seen many of their friends and colleagues leave the Church of the Nazarene, and have perhaps contemplated leaving as well. But alas, here we are, and I know without a doubt, the church is better because they have remained. Well, today's guest is Jeremy Height. Jeremy, go ahead and say hello. Hey, great to be here. Awesome. Well, Jer- Jeremy, you're serving at Trevecca Community Church there in Tennessee. Uh, what 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 role are you, you, you serving there? Yeah, I... For now three and a half years have been both the college pastor and the community engagement pastor here at Trevecca Community Church and get to do some fun projects at the university as well, but get to serve as a full-time associate pastor here. Yeah, very cool. I know we have we have a, a, a common friend in Kenny Wade and um, yeah, I, I think most people have a common friend in Kenny Wade. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's one of those guys, but I know he speaks very highly of you and um, I think our past have have almost crossed many, many times of some of the stuff we've done together. But um, why don't you just kind of start to share your story of who you are, um, uh, where you kind of grew up, and and how you ended up in Tennessee? <laughs> yeah, I so I am on the younger side of millennials. I'm 31, and um, I've been here in Nashville for three and a half years, but I spent most of my life in downtown Indianapolis. My parents have served in the Church of the Nazarene in urban ministry there at a Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Center called Shepherd Community Center for about 28 years now. So we moved there from Southwest Ohio when I was four, and all of my formative years becoming a follower of Christ, called a ministry, and my early years of being involved in pastoral ministry were there in downtown Indianapolis. And in the midst of that, got a few degrees from Olivet Nazarene University, met my wife there, and we've served as Nazarene missionaries in West Africa, and then uh, landed here in Nashville three and a half years ago, and we have three little ones, uh, five, three, and one years old, and as we were talking about before we were recording, that means that just about every week somebody is homesick because we're just finding all all of the germs. Yep, yep, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so how um I love that that you guys went and served as missionaries in West Africa. How did that how did that come about? Did you feel like did you always know you were going to be maybe in missional service or was that just you fell into it or what? 
Yeah. So growing up the way that I did, I went into college wanting to the way that I would have framed it. 18 year old Jeremy was <laughs> I wanted to be involved in God's work, the Monday through Saturday stuff. So okay. I wasn't interested really in being a pastor. I wanted to do compassionate ministry work and kind of um, kind of stumbled into um, feeling called into pastoral ministry. I, uh, as a college student, um, got a student chaplain position to yes. help work with some of our ministries on campus. And part of the expectation was that you would speak in chapel. And I remember getting done speaking in chapel that day and being like, that was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. <laughs> and I can't wait to get to be a, like, get to do that again. Uh, and, uh, but I was an intercultural studies major cause that was kind of the closest thing to cross-cultural ministry. And so I wanted to serve in urban centers for the rest of my life was the way that I would have defined it. Um, and still do define it. And my wife, she it was born in India, immigrated here to the United States uh, during her childhood, grew up as a part of the Sikh faith, uh, Sikhism, which while not commonly well-known um, across the United States, at least is the fifth largest religion in the world. And as a part of her becoming a follower of Christ, very shortly after, felt a, call, a, a very distinct call to international missions. And so when we started dating and we were figuring out, hey, what is this? what will this look like? What could this look like? One of the things that we're like, uh, agreed on was, yeah, at some point we probably, we see ourselves being able to serve outside the United States, uh, and would love that to be with the church of the Nazarene. And so early on in our marriage, we kind of started the process of applying, started the process. My wife's great with finances. I'm not, um, <laughs> I like, I like, uh, utilizing the money. Um, either on yeah. other people or, or on good coffee. And, um, she made sure we paid off our debt super fast so that we'd be in a position to be able to serve whether uh, in ministry in general, but serve as missionaries. And so we, from 2017 to 2019, we're in West Africa serving as missionaries. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I didn't know that about your wife. That's, that's, that's cool. Um, uh, I think Bakersfield actually is where I'm at is one of the larger Sikh populations in the States. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of, they were one of the first uh, places that opened up to be refugees, for, uh, like refugee centers for them um, when they were leaving India. And uh, yeah, so we've got, you know, next to one of the other Nazarene churches, there's this huge Sikh temple um, that, uh, that, that tried to buy their property and came in with their mafia people and like a case of like money, right? Like here's the offer, let us buy your, and yeah, it was it's crazy. Yeah. Very interesting people. Um, yeah. But, but oh, that's cool. That's cool. Awesome. So, okay. So you're on the mission field for, oh, what'd you say? Four years? Um, two years. Two years. <laughs> that was close. Yeah. 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 Uh, two years. Yeah. <laughs> it probably felt like four years. No. Um, mission field for two years. Uh, and then you came back and so so did you go right back into pastoral ministry um, or what, what happened after that? Yeah, I, you know, um, our conversation about staying with the church of the Nazarene, yeah. um, we, we, uh, it is a, a, a complicated story that I can touch on briefly if we want to, but um, we came back because we realized um, if 
we stayed where we were in the situation that we were, that we probably were risking our ability to be in ministry long-term mm. um, or um, yeah, risk losing <laughs> our relationship with Jesus in the process, sure. uh, which sounds maybe more dramatic than it is, but it was one of those things that like, Hey, we, uh, we are uh, through a yeah, series of experiences very close to burnout. And the best thing for us to be able to serve God, to be a part of the church well, is for us to, to move back. And um, we, in moving back, had uh, Global Missions was kind enough to give us uh, several months of transition to be able to wrap up our roles and uh, be able to have some income while we figured out what was mm. next. And so we, uh, the next job was pastoral ministry, but it was about a six, six month period, a few of those months being unemployed. Mm. Um, I remember the last day as we were employed as Nazarene missionaries, I turned down a pastoral ministry job offer. Um, mm. Mainly the only reason we were considering it was no, knowing that we weren't the right fit for it, but it was just kind of like, well, what, what are we going to like? It's we, a job at yeah. that point. Right. It's a job. We had one kid, one on the way. Yeah. Um, and my, my wife who is often much more attuned to the Holy spirit than I am was like, that's not a good reason to take a church, uh, to serve in a pastoral role. I, it was, she was, uh, the one who realized first that it would be best for us and for our, um, uh, yeah, for our walks with Jesus to move back. And I actually, one of the most meaningful conversations that I had during that process was with our mutual friend, Kenny Wade, who I was talking to over WhatsApp in uh, we, uh, where we were in Accra, Ghana. And he said, hey, what does your wife think about everything you're wrestling with? And I said, "She's she says that she's confident that what we need to do to continue following God is to move back. And uh, he said, are you willing to submit to Christ and your spouse? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a really good question. Uh, we had sold, we had sold everything uh, when we moved, had planned on being gone for years. And so sure. it was a, as an Enneagram three, it was a big dose of humility to be like, yeah. Hey, um, not that we weren't called, not that we weren't called to be a part of the work there, but it was a much different timetable than we expected. And so uh, coming back was uh, challenging. But while we were in West Africa, one of the groups that we helped host, I helped host work and witness trips, was from Trevecca Community Church. Mm. And they loved us, uh, loved on us super, super well while we were there and um, and during their time with us with that team. And uh, my wife has known Pastor Shauna Songer Gaines, the senior pastor here at TCC, for over a decade. Uh, it, for those of you listening, if you've ever read A Seat at the Table, uh, which is, I think, about halfway through the book. It's the story of my wife's decision to follow Christ. Um, mm. They interviewed her for the book. And so we love Pastor Shauna, loved a bunch of the people that we had met from Trevecca Community Church. And so when we moved back, I was actually looking for jobs in Nashville just so we could come to this church. Oh, and cool. then And then found out about a ministry opportunity that they were, this pastoral position that they were just... Um, crafting uh, to be a part of the work. Pastor Sean had been here six months when I interviewed for the job. So it was a fully new job and it was uh, much needed. This, As much as we've loved being able to be in leadership and serving this church, it's been 
important and necessary for the healing of our own hearts as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's cool. And so I, um, right. I, I have a connection with, with Tim and Shauna, uh, right. Cause they were two pastors before me here at, at Bakersfield first. Um, and so yeah. it, it, I was excited to get to know, get to know Tim a little bit just through that, that, that excuse to message him. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I've always, as many of us have, I've followed their work, um, over the years, but no, that, that, that's such a cool story. I think one of the, I'm similar to you of, um, when I start something, it's just what I do, right? Like I'm going to finish it and, and I have an idea of, I'm going to do this for eight years or whatever it is. And, um, but it can be so difficult. Like, like as, as you experienced of, we get into it and all of a sudden our spouse or someone else, something else is happening and we're having to say, no to ourselves or no to right to submit to that um and so i don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that how how did you help yourself get to that point um what how did you deal with it being able to right for me because like for me you know i started uh i started my master's work with nazarene theological seminary online when i was in full-time ministry and i had to like stop i had to stop doing it because it just wasn't wasn't good for my marriage. wasn't good for my ministry. Hmm. It just wasn't working. Um, and that was like one of the most difficult. I'm like, no, I'm going to get my MDiv. That's the plan. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, and yeah. I had to step back. Um, and I felt like I was like failing, right? Like it was the worst thing in the world. Um, even though I knew it was the best thing in the world to do. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So what was some of the stuff that you helped, helped process that and kind of before it, after it, um, in that situation? Yeah. You know, it was our time in West Africa, some of my favorite ministry experiences, um, being involved in the work of the church, nonprofit missions over the last decade. Uh, some of my favorite memories happened in West Africa. Uh, we had some amazing experiences getting to work with local leaders that uh, have, that are leading amazing churches, leading uh, amazing ministries, uh, but uh, very early on in our time realized that there, when we said we wanted to go, like when we talked to global missions and we said, hey, like we'll go wherever we're needed. We didn't have, you know, I know uh, I've got lots of really good friends who based off of a, a location, a language, or a, a specific people group feel called to a specific area. and. Um, we just wanted to be a part of what the church is doing internationally and we're willing to do what was needed. And so uh, the reason we went where we did was because of my wife being good with finances. And so she was hired to be the financial coordinator for the West Africa field. Um, and then they found some roles for me to, to fill uh, in the midst of that. And when we got there, we met some amazing people that were like, we had been told that there wasn't anyone who could be identified locally to, to lead this. Um, and we've been here th- three months and we can, we can tell you who you should have hired for this. And um, we, we said yes to going right before general, the last general assembly. Yeah. And so um, whenever someone gets elected general superintendent, that creates a domino effect of leadership roles. Right. And so uh, we, uh, our bosses changed like in between saying yes and getting there. And uh, we 
still amazing leaders, but we just stepped into a bunch of change and everybody, by the time that we, we were there, we were in our roles for two years. Uh, by the time that we were moving back to the United States, we had been in our roles longer than anybody else on the West Africa field. Wow. Um, so, some taking new roles, some stepping onto the team for the first time. So there was a lot of change. We were able to say like, hey, not that we can't be helpful, but we're not needed. Like we can point you to the lady who you should have hired for this because she knows more languages than we do. She's right. uh, She uh, knows more about the culture. Um, and so it's kind of this like, you know, if if the you know the work is necessary, you can endure hardship. If you have a great support system, you can endure hardship. Um, but we encountered some unfortunate brokenness within. Uh, try to say this lovingly, but also clearly, not within the local church. Um, like mm. leaving West Africa was heartbreaking. Uh, the brokenness we encountered was within the well-intentioned structures of uh, the global denomination. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with some brokenness that put us in some uh, difficult situations and not having a great, uh, not having a, a great team support, not because there wasn't a great team, but the team was changing. And then right. uh, knowing, Hey, like, there are people here who can do this better than us. And so all, all those things kind of compounding were like, we don't, we, uh, it, it took, it just took me longer to realize that. Like I, um, as we were praying about it, I guess the, the, the shorter way to answer your question was, um, I went on a trip to help be a part of some church work in a, a part of West Africa where we weren't currently living. And on that trip, had very long bus rides hmm. to argue with God. And <laughs> uh, in the midst of that was like, like, yeah, it's stuff that I just didn't want to ad admit um, because I didn't want to fail. Um, and uh, I, during that time as well, another missionary had said, Hey, you know, you need to remember that the voice of the church is not the same thing as the voice of God. Yeah. And that's good. And not that the church, not that the church is, you know, uh, is, is <laughs> not that it's bad, not that it's full of bad people. I, you know, if, if I didn't still believe in the church, the Nazarene, I wouldn't be a Nazarene pastor. The, the, one of the first things or one of the things that I did, uh, right. If we came back during that, um, small season of unemployment was I got ordained. Mm. Like it, that was, oh, wow. it was, uh, taking that final step for me in the midst of that, but being reminded okay, yeah, like I heard it from people that we uh, were uh, serving under. Again, not on the West Africa field or the Africa region, but on the global level um, that we, that they had assumed we'd have more resilience or that um, they had, um, uh, it, it was clear we had let them down and had sure. to get to the point, okay, well, I'm going to let some people down but doing what we think is uh, is best for us uh, in this season, and still feel like I I love uh, West Africa and the friends that we made and uh, the leaders that we got to serve with. But it, uh, yeah, I think I'll pause there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 
that's cool. I appreciate you sharing some of that. It it's it is so hard, especially in right when you're younger, you're uh, new to ministry, whatever role you're serving in, whether you're in West Africa or or Nashville, right? I mean, you're you're always kind of asking that question um, of is this where I need to be, right? Is this where God wants me? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, yeah, and that's and that's a really hard question to ask truly because really what we're asking is is this where jeremy wants to be right or is this where john wants to be um and we're just trying to find an excuse to stay or leave right or whatever it is yeah but to really really pursue that is is difficult and because it's all wrapped up like as you said right the church's voice can often or not often but can be different than um god's voice and um yeah, and we don't want to let people down. All all those things. Um, so it's good. Were were there people that helped speak into that process? Did you have people that you could talk to um, within that decision? Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons that I that I personally found it challenging was I've had the blessing of growing up in a in a local church where. Uh, my parents have been there, as I mentioned, 28 years. Um, the children's pastor that I had when I was a, in elementary school has been there for 25 years. The youth pastor just left, but had been there for almost 25 years. Wow! So I had seen faithful followers of Christ continually discern the call to stay. Yeah. And so like, for me, that was kind of like the, that's one of the like that was one of the internal benchmarks that I had to realize. I was like, oh, part of this is also me just placing this where it's like the people I respected most didn't. And I don't mean this against people who moved because I've moved a lot <laughs> in my years of ministry. But the people that I that had most impact in my life were the people who didn't move a bunch. They were the people that stayed. Yeah. Um, and that. That's incarnational ministry, right? Like yep. to to build to to grow deep roots in a community, and so. But I, that also means that some of the people who were closest in my life couldn't tell me um, from personal experience how oh, to sure. discern yeah. the going part. Like I, yeah. um, you know, talking with my parents who are, I'm bl- you know I'm blessed to count as some of my best friends. The last time they said yes to moving was 1995 like that was <laughs> yeah. a while ago um and it was uh it, for them they can tell you what corner in downtown cincinnati driving past the church's chicken they heard the they both heard the voice of god say they're supposed to go to indianapolis um and i i'm uh that would help like if <laughs> right. i could just drive if i could just drive by a, a, a fried chicken place and hear god's word um, then that would be, that would make decisions perfect. Yeah. easier, right? Yeah. I, so, you know, some of it has been, some of it was, um, current missionaries and former missionaries, uh, who had either had gone through seasons of discerning when to move back to their passport country or as they've moved to different countries uh, to be able to discern those transitions. Um, and so it's one of the, one of the beautiful things of a denomination is that we have a, a international church family. Right. Um, yeah. I had 
when we kind of shared that we were going to be moving back and tried to, in the most respectful way possible, kind of not point anything negative out. Um, And for those who are closer with, we tried to be more honest uh, and authentic about our conversations um, and why we were moving back. But um, yeah, this is probably the most public forum that I've ever shared some of this stuff. Um, And part of it was making sure that we gave ourselves time to process and work through everything so that we were uh, like, I love the church, the Nazarene. I want it to grow and be holy the part of the bride of Christ that we're called to be. Um, and I had Nazarene missionaries who, when they, uh, we, you know, you get connected on Facebook from general assembly and all those things um, that even if they, we didn't know them super well, reached out and said like, Hey, um, how can we support you? How can we be praying for you? A few who were willing to jump on FaceTime or WhatsApp call uh, to just encourage us let us know that we weren't journeying alone. Um, but for me, a lot of the people who spoke into that were uh, the, you know, again, I, it's a blessing. I spent the first 20 years of my life at the same church. And so those people um, raised me and those were the ones who they're rooting for me, right? Like they had nothing yeah. to gain. Like, well, I, guess, I mean, I guess they had a little, they had somewhat to gain if I moved back into the same time zone that they were in, but um, they were able, to, they were giving advice based off of what they believed was best for our family. And so that was, I know one of the most important things. And I know something that by God's, by God's grace, uh, I was able to be raised in one church, especially as a pastor's kid. That's not common. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I appreciate you sharing some of that journey with us. Um, so, so why'd you stay uh, after some of that turmoil? I mean, you saw kind of behind the curtain a little bit of what frustrates, I think, a lot of millennial pastors and younger pastors. Um, so what, what changed? Why'd you come back and still get ordained? Why did you um, still commit to a Nazarene church? And, and, and I mean, you've you've had the traditional Nazarene story almost, right? Nazarene pastor, uh, you know, grew up in that home. Um, and I know, knowing your dad, that was not probably the normal Nazarene story at all. But um, uh, yeah, to, why why are you still here, Jeremy? Yeah, I, you know, over fifty years ago, my grandfather had lost a job as a father of three and a husband and was uh, really down on his luck when a neighbor offered to have him help. uh, He'd pay him if he painted his house, but he could only do it when the neighbor was home. And so they would paint their house together. And over those weeks helped my grandfather be able to make ends meet. Uh, But by the end of it had led my grandfather to Christ and brought brought him to church with him. So my grandfather brought wife and three young boys to Vandalia Church of the Nazarene in Southwest Ohio. And uh, come to find out the house didn't need to be painted. Uh, that neighbor right. just really wanted to tell my grandfather about Jesus. Uh. And uh, it changed the trajectory of my family's life uh, and uh, ended up, you know, that was the church my father was saved in called the ministry. And it was the, that was the local church I was born into. Yeah. And so 
while not being generations long in this denomination, uh, the the Nazarene church and the local church changed the path of the Height family. Mm. Uh, and then growing up where I have in downtown Indianapolis, I've been able to be a part of some amazing transformation. Uh, like it's, I think an easy answer as a pastor to say, oh, I stayed for the theology. Right. Um, sure. But I, we, especially in terms of reaching uh, and journeying with those who are in generational cycles of poverty, who are marginalized. Think about like the Old Testament, like who are the ones that the Israelites were called to care for? It was the widows, the orphans, the aliens from a foreign land, uh, those who did not have the means to be able to provide for themselves. And that is at our best who the Church of the Nazarene is. It's why we are called the Church of the Nazarene. And I've had the privilege, both where I grew up in Indianapolis and then uh, serving in short-term or long-term missions in Haiti, India, Senegal, Ghana, and West Africa to see the amazing local church work that uh, I think embodies who Christ called us to be and is the living out of a pretty good theology and understanding of who we are, who God is, and and what God is calling us to in terms of a life of holiness. And it's a it's a compelling story. I, I, I've had plenty of friends who have walked away from the church or who have walked away from the Nazarene church over the last 15 years. And time and time again, it often is, you know, I still want to see a broken world healed. I just don't see the church as a part of that solution and bringing healing and wholeness and beauty. And yeah, we fall short of being who we're called to be as the bride of Christ. But I have had the blessing to see so many examples of where we, where we, where we have. And uh, one of my biggest uh, convictions, um, and maybe I'm skewed because I'm a millennial. So I like social media, but um, I, I like telling our story. Like I, I, I love being able to to highlight and celebrate what God is doing, not only because God deserves the praise first and foremost, but also because the people who are doing some of the most incredible work around the world and in whatever city you find yourself in today, especially within the Nestorian Church, are the people who are so busy doing the amazing work of God that they rarely have time to pause and share that story. Yeah. Right. And so um, one of the things I loved getting to do when we were in West Africa was just be able to highlight what our local leaders were doing. District superintendents who had started schools on their property, who had started uh, a chicken farm to help raise funds to plant new churches. Right. Um, Like it's uh, the work of Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Centers across USA, Canada and around the world. Um, We I think also maybe because we're a holiness people, we're afraid that maybe sometimes we can sound like if we're. If we're telling the story of what God is up to, it can sound like we're bragging, um, yeah. but we do so at the risk of people our age and younger not hearing the amazing stories of what God is doing through the local church um, and through local Christians. And I believe in the Church of the Nazarene. We're not perfect, but this is the church that saved my family that uh, introduced me into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and um, I I believe deeply in the work that we're doing around the world and want to continue to be a part of that for as long as I'm able to, to support that work and to help uh, highlight that work where I can, uh, whether that be in, in sermons, uh, social media posts, or podcasts. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so when, when you think about kind of the past three years, um, three, four years that you've been there at Trevecca, what, what's been maybe a story or two that, that has really stood out of your like, yes, this is why I'm here. This is, this is why I endured. This is why I'm resilient, whatever. Um, yeah. 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 One of one of the most incredible things that I've gotten to be a part of is something that was um, just started six months ago. So our church is here on the campus of Trevecca Nazarene University, and one of our church members, who's also a resident director on campus, came to our senior pastor, Pastor Sean, and I over the this last summer, uh, summer twenty two, and said, "Hey, I've been learning uh, over this summer at some conferences about." other Nazarene universities and other uh, colleges in general that have some type of food pantry for college students, mm. helping address food stability for students, uh, especially for uh, commuter students, international students, um, those who have more obstacles to being able to fully flourish as a child of God and as a student. And uh, the Holy Spirit had just started to, over last summer, really, really burden his heart for the church and the university being able to partner to, on something together to be able to uh, help at least see if there's a need. Um, the research shows that on any given college campus, there's probably about 30 to 40% of the students who deal with some form of food uh, insecurity. And so we, we started a, about once a month, uh, we call it neighbor stand uh, where uh, we do some, we provide some fresh fruit and vegetables through some partnerships to some um, uh, some apartments in the area that um, are uh, housing for those who are 55 and older. And uh, one of our other church members had come up with the idea, instead of just like a farm stand or a food pantry, let's call it a neighbor stand, uh, something where we're, it, you know, there is food, uh, but focusing on being a good neighbor and being yeah. neighbors together. And so we started a uh, spinoff of it for college students. And cool. so we, um, uh, you know, call it a neighbor stand. We usually, we have some type of activity. So it's either painting pumpkins. Um, we just did one at the time of our recording. We did one a week ago um, at the end of January where we, um, this resident director, Zach, he came up with um, all these different ways to up your ramen game. So like, <laughs> hey, yeah, we do have, we do have the 25 cent ramen here. We have a lot of it, but like here are thing, a few things you can get it to like to elevate it. Yeah. It's just like a fun thing. So you could eat it. You know, it's uh, kind of chilly out. So it's a nice bowl of uh, a hot meal now. But here's some recipe ideas. And it has been one of the most life giving things. Huh. I um, I have my camera pointed so you can't really see it. But there's about 15 banana boxes behind me yeah. um, of the of of things that were left over of. Um, as we're consolidating and on almost a daily basis, we have church members who are uh, dropping off donations for it. It's yeah. been amazing and it's not humongous numbers, but a consistent group of students 
who come and are able to get, they can select groceries um, as they need them. And uh, several of them sharing, you know, their personal stories of how this is helping their family make ends meet um, or where they weren't. I had a student just this last week say like, I've got 40 bucks in my bank account and I get paid in a week and a half. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for groceries. And one of my friends reminded me about this. And that's why I'm here uh, today is to be able to, because I, I need groceries. Um, and uh, important work, right? Uh, but then also like that apartment complex for those who are 55 and older, um, we have members from who go and get groceries uh, and fresh produce from there who have then donated towards this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a rehabilitation center, a rehab center on Trebekah's campus as well. And one of their tenants who comes here to church heard about it, went and advocated for all the staff to do a food drive to donate. Oh, to, like, cool. it's just like yeah, people who, I, some of the most beautiful church work that uh, church life uh, that I've seen is exemplified in these kind of things where we have members of our faith community who in, you know, most often would be those that the church is serving who are participating and seeing themselves and true. And they truly are vital, like vital parts of it. Um, We are able to do this monthly and it's all based off donations. Like it's, um, it it is just humbling to see the generosity of so many people. It's not surprising, like uh, especially within the church, there's some amazingly generous people, but, I think that's been, especially in the last year, one of the most amazing, like, because it's like this intersection of two things that I hold really dearly of wanting young adults, emerging adults to to see the, how much Jesus loves them and that the church can be a part of that, um, that the church loves them and being able to meet tangible needs uh, for those facing uh, systemic injustices. Um, uh, you know, the Matthew 25, like helping the, the hungry, uh, the sick, um, yeah. providing clothing, like that's, uh, we're getting to be a part of that here at Trevecca Community Church. And um, I think that specifically has been one of those things where every time like it's, as it ends, it's like, this is one of the most life-giving things. Um, and I, I'm thankful that I'm here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's no. What what a cool what a cool story of uh, what happens. I think when you listen to a community, right? When you're present in the area, um, yeah, and you're able to do something new, right? Just see see where it takes you, and say, let's just you know, someone's got an idea. Let's not try to figure it all out ahead of time and make it all happen. But just saying, yeah, let's just pivot and see where it where it takes us, and um. Yeah, and that's good. I think one of the, <clears throat> I think one of the issues, or one of the frustrations, I guess, that a lot of younger leaders begin to experience in the church is that those things always become secondary to the purpose of the church, right? Um, like we read scripture and we hear this call, especially it's a Nazarene call of like we're supposed to be caring for the lost and the poor and the rejected and the forgotten. Um, but then when we come into church. And you know maybe it's our first staff position or whatever it is, um, 
we get the kind of narrative that, oh, no, that's fine, but really we need to focus on Sunday morning. We need to make sure all this is taken care of and everyone's happy um, in that if we have extra time, right? In, in the margins, we'll care for the marginalized. And, and that never really works, right? Um, yeah. And so what, what have you found to be effective to make sure we're prioritizing? Because I know that's very much your heart and part of your position of, of doing those sorts of things. So where have you been able to find, yeah, how have you been able to empower that to really be actualized and happen in a priority, um, maybe in your church, in your life, in, in some of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, here in the local church context I find myself in, um, a lot of that is through the leadership and heart of yeah. Pastor Shauna yeah. um, and and our, our church board, church leadership. I think in terms of Church in, of the Nazarene more broadly, I've, I think one way to be able to engage in caring for the least of these, uh, it as well as we can is to, to find ways to be able to partner together. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's districts, uh, not many of them, but there are some districts that have like a district 501c3 where it's like each church is a, is a hub of ministry. And so you can share overhead costs together. You can support work. You can, you can right. share resources. Uh, we, we have a, uh, a kind of a partnership initiative uh, that's developed here of Nashville Nazarene churches specific to recovery. And so mm-hmm. it's led by a couple pastors uh, who some are full-time, some are part-time, but that are at different churches. And so it's like, hey, when we're going to do a Narcan training, which like if you're listening to this, wherever you find yourself listening to this podcast episode, it, you should go get Narcan trained. Like that yeah. is maybe one of the most <laughs> important things, especially here in the United States in North Absolutely. America that we can do to love our neighbors well is to know how to use Narcan. Um, but like figuring out the logistics of that, you know, in, instead of doing it at every single church, it's like, okay, let's all do it together. Uh, yeah. or, um, we've, one of the things that started this conversation around recovery for our church and some others in the, in the city is, Hey, we, we are each working with neighbors who are dealing with some kind of journey in recovery and addiction. And what happens if like, maybe we all use the same curriculum so we all agreed to use the life recovery bible similar to celebrate recovery but like you can you get the bible and it's it it is this the 12 steps and how it relates to christ is in the bible so if i haven't if we have a neighbor who's here on a wednesday night and they're looking for a thursday night recovery group uh to help support them and make sure that they have accountability we can begin pointing them to other nazarene churches and be like we can we know that that's a safe place we know that they'll take good care of you we also know that like you're going to hear the same kind of stuff you're hearing here because of the consistency of it. And so finding partnerships like that, whether it's addressing like a specific thing like food insecurity, like it's um, the beauty of the thing that uh, we're getting to do with this idea of a neighbor stand is that it's got a few different variations in our community. And it's a partnership between the church and the university or separate entities. So there's all, you know, that takes, um, extra work uh and uh but it's all it's all important extra work and so it's like hey like if we have leftover groceries from one thing we can provide it to the other and so yeah. it's finding ways to be able to share costs cuz you know starting a new ministry at a local church is a lot of work and 
very few of us have a lot of extra resources, but finding ways to partner with other churches in a way that's like, Hey, we can all invest in this work together. And maybe it's a, a rotating food pantry that is at, you know, four churches, but it's one. So it's at one church, one week, church B the next week. Um, and pool kind of like pooling resources to be able to, I think, at least in those who I've gotten to know over the last, um, well, yeah, being around uh, compassionate ministry work for my whole life, um, have knowing how to get started, having the support, having the network. Um, if you can kind of find that and share the load, it's a lot easier to get something started um, yeah. than trying to create something new at your local church. Because very likely there's somebody somewhere who's done something similar. And there's probably people in your town, in your city, who are also passionate about it and finding ways to be able to partner together. Um, I think that's leveraging, especially it's leveraging the Church of the Nazarene being an international denomination um, to one way to be able to leverage that for God's kingdom to be like, hey, we we're on the same team. Yeah, that's great. And um yeah, there's so much power when we're able to find other like-minded people, um, and not not necessarily even Nazarene people, right? Um, it's yeah. it's beautiful in Nazarene churches if if that's your context, if there's Nazarene churches around you, because then there's just a it's easy, right? It's a shared, easy connection. You can begin to have conversations. We already have a platform for it, um, but even connecting, you know, with the churches around you, right? When I was in Washington. I knew all the 18 churches that were in the Snoqualmie Valley and we met and we prayed together and we did stuff together um, Mm -hmm. intentionally, right? For one, for compassionate ministry stuff, which was started by my, the Nazarene church I was serving at, you know, 80 years ago. Um, And they can, and he intentionally created that for that reason. Um, Right. It's, is, as you said, you know, other churches, other people are doing this even outside of church, right? They're doing they're doing these sorts of things. And so it's not necessarily starting from scratch because that is very daunting. Um, but saying, okay, this is where, you know, who are the people, who are the place, who are the, right. As you kind of shared, uh, we talk a lot about that in the mission field, but you know, in our local context, I mean, that's as much as a mission field as, as West Africa is. Um, yes, and so, <clears throat> yeah. What are you called to? Who are you called to? Um, what are you going to try and accomplish? Um, food insecurity, injustices, whatever it is, um, find other people who care about that and are are doing something about it. And how can your church join yeah. with them? Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so what what would you share? What would be your advice for young pastors in ministry, maybe contemplating ministry, disenfranchised with ministry, wherever they're at? Um, what do, what does Jeremy want to tell them? I think that one of the easiest things for the enemy to to use against us is when um, we either sense isolation or when we truly are isolated. Yeah. I, um, you know, I did a, a grad program, and as um, we stepped out of our grad degrees, I stepped into compassionate ministry work. I had several friends go to small. Nazarene churches and um, 
for many of them, that was the last Nazarene church they ever pastored, or the last church they ever pastored. Yeah. Um, because of that isolation, um, or because they sensed that they that they were isolated from um, not having support within their local church, um, or not being able to develop a relationship with pastors who are a little bit farther down the road, or district superintendents, or a retired minister. Um, community is absolutely important um and the church doesn't always do that well but there's um lots of great examples uh, of like i i don't i i don't know of anything uh that has happened in the last uh maybe uh 2000 years that has come that has happened within the church outside of it happening in community like we yeah. we don't we don't journey alone. You know, one of my favorite uh, soccer football teams is Liverpool. Uh, and yeah. their phrase is, you never walk alone. Yeah. Um, when, we, when we served in uh, West Africa, we uh, lived in an apartment complex. And our landlord was this amazing individual who just, uh, Senegalese people are just amazing in terms of hospitality. And he um, he taught us so much uh, as a uh, Muslim man who loved Russian, uh, knew Russian, loved American jazz music, watched mm. Indian Bollywood movies. He was like this like <laughs> Renaissance man awesome. that was was uh, the property manager for our apartment complex. And uh, one day he invited me in for tea. And as we were talking, um, he was asking about our experience in Senegal so far. And I said. Um, you know, we, we've experienced so much hospitality, um, not only from those we know, but just people helping us navigate the city when we've gotten lost or navigating language and cultural uh, differences. And he said, yeah, you know, he goes, um, he referenced my wife and he, being from India, he goes, yeah, in India, I know they, they serve Krishna and Indians live the way they do because of who Krishna is. And uh, us here, we, um, we live the way we do because we serve Allah. And you Americans live the way that you do because you serve Jesus of the Bible. We are who we are because of who we serve. Mm. And my first thought was, oh, goodness, I know that his only real reference points to uh, Americans is uh, Hollywood movies and international cable stations. And yep. if that's what you think the reflection of Jesus is, oh, help us. Um, right, right. Because <laughs> we look crazy. Yeah. Um, but. It was that say like we we reflect, uh, we, uh you know was as uh, James K Smith said like we we become what we worship kind yeah. of thing like, um and we serve a communal God like it's one of the beautiful theological elements of the Trinity and uh, that same property manager there uh, in Senegal helped us during so many things and time and time again he would say the same phrase in French, um ensemble or um for those who know French better. Um, only ensemble, which is just, we are together. Mm. Um, we journey through the highs and the lows together. And it is not easy to find community or mentorship, um, but it is absolutely important. Um, I know that apart from the community of, of believers and um, having the blessing to have some individuals, whether or not they have seen themselves as mentors in my life, that's what has given me hope and helped me uh, stick around. So if you're stepping into ministry, if you're in um, 
the valley of the shadow of death in terms of ministry. Um, find, try to find some community. Uh, and I'll flip this too. Then on the other side, for those who are farther down the road, uh, we we need we need your mentorship. We mm. need okay. your we we need community uh, with um, people across generations. What's the there's the song by Common from the Martin Luther King Jr. movie uh, Selma a number of years ago uh, that says we need the wisdom of the elders and the young people wisdom of the elders and the young people's energy. Like <laughs> we we need each other. We're better together. Um, community is is so so important. Um, we're not made to journey through life alone. We're not made to journey on this uh, apprenticeship with Jesus alone. Um, I think it was the professor Sam Wells who said the most important word in Christianity is the word with mm. that, that we need to journey with others. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. W- one of the things I remember <clears throat> when I was uh, first starting as a senior pastor at Washington is uh my DS Jerry Kester was sharing some of his his time that he was serving there in Twin Falls, Idaho, um, as a lead pastor, and um, as he was changing their culture and those kinds of things, he he shared the story that he um, he had a very large senior adult group population there at that church, um, and uh, he was trying to figure. He started hearing just you know musings as sometimes often you do uh, that the senior adults were frustrated or weren't feeling cared for or had different whatever it is right um yeah so he he began he began intentionally going to their groups right um and and just talking with them right finding community with them um yeah and and he would begin sharing ideas of saying what would you guys think about if we did this or you know x y or z um and got some buy-in right from the senior adults but what he said the beauty of it was is he became he became a part of their community, right? He became part of their their process and their thoughts, um, and and quickly it became they were fighting for the church with him rather than against him. Um, and so I've always, um, I mean, often I've even as a young kid, I found I was more comfortable at the adults' table than the kids' table. Um, but I <laughs> one one of my favorite things to do is go to senior adult breakfast at church um, and just get to eat biscuits and gravy, you know, and talk with talk with the ninety year olds. Um, but there's, and I, and I know a lot of younger pastors are enjoy that as well of that exact idea of community of um, we want to be a part of this broader vision, right? More than just ourselves. Um, I don't think there's very many millennials that know other millennials are ridiculous, right? I mean, like we all know, like it's you know we we know we aren't the best generation um, or, or the greatest generation. I mean, that's the greatest generation, right? We, we know we aren't them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, being intentional to one for ourselves, right? Seek that um, to belong to something bigger than us. Um, but also as, as uh, the older pastors, the older leaders um, being intentional of welcoming, inviting them in, right. Of, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the Growing Young book that Fuller Youth Institute put out, um, uh, Powell did. And it yeah. talks about, right, handing off the keys to the kingdom. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that's literal keys, right? Like, we need to just give leaders keys to the building. 
uh, to be able to do what they want with, but also in that same way of saying, you know, you have permission, right? You have leadership and, and come into this space um, to belong, right? To belong to, to what's happening. It's good. It's good. Other thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah. Um, I think that, as you said, like giving, uh, like handing over the keys or giving opportunities, I think one maybe important note to make with that is like, there's a, there's a difference between delegating tasks and like empowering towards responsibility. Like I've, you've seen, I've seen sometimes where it's like, Hey, we want you to run this initiative this this program and uh you need to start here it needs to you need to get here and we basically need to do this to where it's like if it goes well then you don't feel like you impacted the success of it but you definitely get to own it if it doesn't go well and some of the 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 scariest best thing and you know it's um i i think it's there are lots of leaders who, who who do this well uh, and especially inter- internationally uh, in cross-cultural missions where it's like, like oh, hey, like we're going to just, we need you to do this. We're not going to micromanage it because we don't have the resources or ability to do that. And saying instead, hey, instead of like delegating tasks, we're going to say, hey, you you own this. If it, if it doesn't go the way we expect, like that's fine. Like, you know, the like tech world thing of like fail fast, like do it if it doesn't go well like we'll learn together support like knowing that like if you make one mistake in terms of like trying to lead something that if it doesn't go according to plan that you're not done that you're not uh ruined that you get another chance that you have the freedom to fail um but then also then that gives you the freedom to be able to to know that you made a meaningful difference in in leading something and that's in local churches that's in uh, on the district level as well. And um, I think that there are more and more districts and on, on regional levels of finding creative ways to not just say, hey, you can be at the table as long as you're you're quiet and listen and wait your turn, but of actually inviting people to, to, to lead. And the international church obviously does this uh, in an amazing way of leading our denomination uh, within the Church of the Nazarene as well of yeah. um, empowering those who are not always the default societal leaders yep. uh, but saying hey we're not doing this just because um out of tokenism but the holy spirit has uh, equipped you and empowered you for this role of leadership and we're going to support and uh invest in you uh in that way yeah yeah no that's and I, I think I think your dad is is really good at this um, of intentionally, you know, he he brings a lot of different people together um, with that. Again, not not out of tokenism, as you said, just because you fit this category, you're going to be at the table, but truly finding gifted leaders um, to be a part of conversations as he's influencing Nazarene Compassionate Ministries and all sorts of other stuff. Um, yeah, and I encourage you, if you're listening and you're not familiar with Shepherd Community, um, to, to check them out. Uh, uh, Jeremy's dad's doing good stuff. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it, but uh, he really <laughs> is doing good stuff. And um, if if you want to figure out 
where to even start with Compassionate Ministries if it's totally foreign to you. Go visit Shepherd. Go, uh, um, you know, go reach out to uh, reach out to their their staff, and I'm sure they love to host you and um, and just get new ideas. But but there's something to being intentional of of looking for leaders, right? Looking for the voices that that God is already working in and through, um, and and bringing them to the table, not not to complete a task. Um, but just empower them, right? Empower them to to follow their heart and their ministry and their giftings. Of course, with you know guardrails and and accountability and all those things, right? That are necessary. It's not about yeah. just blindly go, um, but to be there with them and and help them, not micromanage them, um, which is great. Good. Well, it, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Jeremy, today. I I I know our listeners will will enjoy your story and uh, hearing someone who's been on the mission field who is. Uh, I think still on the mission field uh, in powerful ways there in Nashville and um, doing doing exciting things um, of loving on on our our college kids and uh, reaching out there to the um, to the community around you. Um, well, this has been uh, season eight of the Millennial Pastor Podcast as we've been talking about the intersection of faith and culture, looking at what mentorship's all about, looking at and celebrating young millennial pastors like Jeremy. Um, who uh, are doing creative things. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe, continue to follow us, um, and we will see you next time. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, How might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Jonathan Wren. Original music by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. 
and please consider rating, reviewing, or subscribing so both you and other fans of Millennial Pastors can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.